Thank you, worship team. Uh, if you would grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We've been preaching through the book of Genesis. As you recall, Genesis is a book of beginnings. Uh, last week we learned at the beginning of chapter 6 of man's increase on earth and the great wickedness of his heart, that every intention was only evil continually. And we also saw that by God's grace, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 9 starts out with the phrase, these are the generations of Noah. Uh, if you recall that phrase, when we see it used in this way, the generations, it's a circling back around uh, to pick up an idea and expound on something in more detail. And so the beginning of chapter 6, we see the wickedness of man, God's favor toward Noah. And now Moses, the writer of Genesis, will loop back and give us a much fuller account of those things. So let's pray, and then we'll read and, and preach. Father, we pray that you would uh, give us insight and understanding into your word this morning. Let it uh, open our minds and our hearts to you and to all that you would have for us in living a faith response to who you are. And so, God, would you, by your Spirit, uh, do a work, even as we read your word and preach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 9, we're going through the end of the chapter. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So as we start out here in our passage, we're going to first see the condition of God's creation. 
We're going to see the state that it was in, what it was like, what characterized it. And here we start with Moses, uh, excuse me, Noah. Uh, We start with Noah. Uh, We know from chapter 5 that Noah is descended from Seth. He's in the godly line that we have talked about in previous weeks. And then verse 8, we see that Noah found favor with God. And we go back and get some more information on that. We see in verse 9 that Noah was righteous, he was blameless, he walked with God. In other words, Noah was a faithful man. All right? He walked with God. So he followed God. He was obedient. He lived his life in a godly manner. He honored God with his life. And so his life was characterized by his faith. And then we also see in verse 10, a note here that he had the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then in verse 11, we see something that is different. Okay, now we see the the condition of the rest of creation, but it's in great contrast to Noah and his faithfulness. The earth was corrupt. It was filled with violence. And all flesh had corrupted their way. So this word corruption here speaks of a moral corruption. Man had corrupted his relationship with God and his worship of God. Man had turned away from God's way and he was going his own way, doing his own thing. So mankind here had rejected God. They had rejected him completely. And so this corruption led to great violence on the earth. We don't know what all that is, but you can imagine what is entailed there. And this is all due to the wicked, evil heart of man that we see in verse 5. Right? The earth is now characterized by corruption against God and by great violence. So he, here we see an ugliness to sin, don't we? Sin is ugly. It's devastating. You can't make sin look pretty in the eyes of God. God sees it. God knows it, and he hates it. And sin creates so much chaos in the world and in each of our lives. We see here that this sin is worldwide, right? The whole earth was corrupted. Think about that. The whole earth was corrupted. All the earth, all the flesh, all that was living in the world. So here's a question. What happened to this godly line of Seth? Right? Seth was a godly line. We see that starting out. And yet now the whole earth is corrupted. So even this godly line of Seth had, been, had become corrupted. This godly line even now was sinful. The godly now ungodly. The faithful now unfaithful. Those who had walked with God, now rejecting God. So there's a caution for us here, and it's a generational caution. The faith of grandparents and parents doesn't automatically transfer to coming generations, right? So for those of you parents who have kids at home, you need to be purposeful in the spiritual investment you make in the lives of your kids, Don't just assume that they'll get it. 
you need to make intentional investments in them in that way. Young people, kids, young adults, this is personal for you as well. You're going to be tempted time and time again to just leave faith behind, to just let it go. Hey, my grandparents, my parents, they're pretty faithful, so I'll be okay too. That's not true. Just because your grandparents or parents are living lives of faith doesn't mean you get a free pass with God. And so you need to be purposeful about pursuing after him, not turning away from him. Don't rely on your parents' faith to save you. So we see here that generations of people had turned away from God. And there's judgment for sin, as we'll see in a bit here. And so each one of us needs to be pursuing God in faithfulness. So this is the condition of God's creation at the time here. And then in verse 13, we see God speak. God speaks to Noah. And so for these next nine verses, God speaks to Noah. Noah, this one faithful, godly man among all the people. And Noah talks, God talks to Noah mainly about three things that we'll see here. First, God will tell Noah about his coming judgment for sin. Second, we'll see that God gives instructions to Noah and what he is to do. And third, God will tell Noah about his plan for restoration. And so let's look at those three things. First, judgment. First, we see God's judgment for sin. Starting in verse 13, right? God says, I will make an end of all flesh. I will destroy the earth. Everything, everything will be destroyed. All plants, all animals, everything that is on ground will be destroyed. And even even all people who have been created in God's image. That's a terrible, tragic thing, but this is God's judgment. And he tells Noah why he is doing this. And he says it's due to sin. It's due to the evil wickedness of man, due to the sin. So God here is not destroying his creation just for his own entertainment. He's not killing people made in his image just for fun. He is bringing judgment on all of creation because of the sin of man. So we have to see here, we have to take note that this is how bad the sinfulness of man really is. It's deserving of death. It's deserving of being annihilated and wiped out. Death is the right judgment for sin. Right? Death is the right judgment for sin. That might seem a little harsh at first, but we have to consider that sinfulness and holiness do not mix. Right? They are two separate things. The holiness of God cannot fellowship with the sinfulness of man. And so because of the sin of man, because of the evil in his heart, God tells Noah he will bring judgment. He goes on to tell him how he will do this, right? In verse 17, he will do it by a flood of waters, right? So this judgment to come, this judgment for sin, will be a judgment of destruction by flood, right? So why a flood and some, some, some other method? 
I don't know. That's what God chose. God is sovereign. We're not told specifically why it's water. But God is sovereign and it's his choice. So as we go here, I'm going to give you a few characteristics of God that we see throughout the passage. So the first one, you can make note of it in your notes or in your Bible. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. He can do whatever he wants. He can do it whenever he wants. And so here, by his sovereign choice, he chooses water. And God says that he will judge the earth by a flood of water. So because of this worldwide sin, God says there will be a worldwide judgment. It's not just a judgment on one person for their sin. It's not just a judgment on one city, not just a judgment on one nation, but judgment on the whole world because of sin. Look at some of the language of judgment that's used here. In verse 13, God says, I will make an end of all. He says, I will destroy. Down in verse 17, everything on earth shall die. This will be utter devastation. Everything destroyed, nothing left. Now again, we must understand here that God's judgment is always good and it's always right. Okay? You with me? We don't always like that. But listen, God's judgment is always good and it's always right. His wrath for sin is not only just an acceptable thing, it is the right thing. It is the good thing. We must understand that. Now, does that tell us that God is mean and he's just a big bully looking to harm? No, that's not it. What this shows us is that God is just. Okay, here's the second thing, characteristic of God that you can make a note of. God is just. That's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And because he is just, he must judge sin correctly. Right? He must make a correct judgment on sin. And so what God does is always right, every time without fail, even in his judgment. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, Moses makes this declaration. He says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's our God. God is just, and his judgment for sin is good, and it is right. Think of our call to worship that Keith gave us. Judgment, right? Because God is just, he is worthy of worship. That's part of who he is, and he's worthy of worship. He will make right judgments on sin and evil, and that should lead us to worship. So God's justice will be carried out. Right? It's not a question. It will be carried out. It'll be carried out either here on earth or in eternity. And so there's good news regarding God's justice, his judgment for sin, for those of us who are 
in Christ Jesus by faith. There's some good news here. A couple things. First, you can know that God's justice for the evil done against you will be carried out. All of the hurt and pain that others have caused you, there will be justice for that. You can trust God with that. Psalm 37, verse 28 says this, For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. God's justice will prevail. Second thing for us, we can know that the full judgment of our sin has been carried out for those who are in Christ. Jesus has atoned for your sin. He received the judgment in your place on the cross so that there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing left for you. Complete justice has been served on your behalf through Christ Jesus. Nothing more for you to take on. So God here is bringing judgment. He's telling Noah about this. Now think with me for a minute. Think about Noah. Do you think Noah was surprised in hearing of God's judgment to come? Let's think of it in a different way. Let's think about our world today. Because our world isn't far off from Noah's time, right? Man's heart is wicked and evil. There's great sin. There's many who have rejected God and turned from him. So would you be shocked if God told you today that he was going to bring about judgment for sin in our world? If God told you he was going to wipe out all the ungodly people from the face of the earth, how would you react? Would you be surprised? There's judgment to come. God will bring judgment, and we'll hear more about that later. So here, judgment to come. Second thing we see here in God speaking to Noah is we see instruction given. God here gives Noah instruction, starting in verse 14. He's to make an, an ark, a large boat, a large vessel of some kind, is to be made of gopher wood. Does anyone have gopher wood growing in your backyard? Maybe in Minnesota? I don't know. Minnesota gophers. I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, okay. Had to explain it. Uh, So I'm not sure what type of wood that is, but apparently it's around here. It's made of gopher wood. It's covered in pitch, presumably to make it waterproof, to make it watertight. God here gives Noah dimensions for the size of the ark, right? He talks about, uh, gives it to him in cubits. Cubits is a measurement of about 18 inches in length, approximately, give or take a bit. And so this would make the ark 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, all right? So from the floor up to the top of these windows, is about 15 feet. So you do that three times the height, and that's as tall, that's about the height of the ark that Noah's to make. Okay, 75 feet wide. From here to the other side of the sound booth, that's how wide the ark was. And now 450 feet. Think of a football field. 
you need one and a half football fields. So 75 feet wide, three times the height here, 45 feet and a football and a half long. That's the size of the ark that Noah was to build. So this ark was made to float, right? It wasn't made to be driven. It didn't need a motor. It didn't need sails. It didn't need a rudder. All it needed to do was to float. That was its job. We see here in these instructions to Noah that it was to have decks and rooms and a roof, right? This ark, this vessel was to be, was, would be sufficient to house all uh, kinds of living creatures, right? That's what it was job to preserve. It was also to have a door in the side, right? The door is significant here. What's the job of a door? To let some people in and to keep some people out, right? That's the job of the door. So how do you escape the judgment of the flood? There's only one way. You enter the ark by the door. One and only way. And that way must be entered into by faith, by believing God and trusting him. So for us now, here's a picture. For us now, there is only one way to enter into salvation. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said, I am the door. Right? Jesus is the one and only way for us to receive salvation. It must be entered into. It must be received in faith. So in the instructions for the ark here, what do we observe about God? Here's another characteristic of God. God is wise. You can make that note. God is wise. God knows exactly what is needed to save. Right? He's thought it through. He isn't making this up as he goes. He knows what is needed to save. God is wise. He does what is best. And his salvation is the only sufficient means of salvation. There is no other way. So God tells Noah he's bringing judgment. God gives Noah some instructions. Third thing we're going to see is that God has a plan of restoration. God has a plan of restoration. Look at verse 18. But I, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. So here, this is the first time in our Bibles that we see this word covenant, but the concept has been around from the beginning. Right? This is a covenant of relationship between God and man. And ever since the fall of man has become a covenant of salvation so that man can be in relationship with God. It's a preservation of that relationship between God and man. Remember back in Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman would defeat Satan, right? This is the covenant seed, the covenant offspring, and that would be preserved now in Noah. God will continue his covenant with man. Worldwide judgment, but God will continue his covenant with man. And if God says he will do it, he will do it. It will be done. And notice it's God doing the work. I will do it. I will establish my covenant 
with you. In Romans chapter 3, verse 3, we read, what if some people, what if some were unfaithful? Lots of unfaithfulness in Noah's time. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. So even though man is unfaithful here, across the world, worldwide, God is still faithful. He will continue his covenant relationship with man. He is faithful to all of his promises. We can be assured of that. And so in all of this, Noah is not just saved from dying in the flood, but he is the one to carry forth the promises of God. He is a remnant here of mankind, and a godly line of faithfulness shall continue through him. This covenant serpent crusher would come through the line of Noah. And so we see here that all of God's judgments, as we, as we look at God's judgment and his restoration, his promise of restoration to Noah, we see that all of God's judgments come with an element of salvation or an element of a continuing covenant, right? Genesis 3, the fall of man, the original sin, there's judgment for sin given out, and yet there's a saving offspring that's to come, right? There's an element of salvation there, a continuing covenant. Here in Genesis 6, we see the flood judgment, and yet there's a saving ark, a covenant with Noah. Exodus 12, we see uh, Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. There was a plague in Egypt that would be the death of the firstborn, and yet there was, for the Israelites, if they had blood on their doorposts, they were saved from that plague. Many more we could go over. Jesus in the new covenant, there's judgment of sin as he dies on the cross, and yet there's resurrection and new life given. All of God's judgments come with an element or an aspect of salvation and a continuing covenant with man. So in this, we see another characteristic of God here. God is merciful. God is merciful. In Psalm 37, we read this, starting in verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off. That's judgment. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That's God's mercy. That's salvation. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Judgment. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. God is merciful. He provides salvation. And so here God tells Noah there will be a flood that will cause the end of the whole world as judgment is brought upon it. But there will be a rebirth. There will be a new creation to come after judgment. Another thing we see here in this restoration is we see that all kinds of animals shall come into the ark, right? All kinds of animals. And why? God gives the reason here in verse 19, again in verse 20. The reason is to keep them alive, to keep them alive. And so here we see this contrast between the flood and and the ark, right? The flood is meant to bring death and destruction. The flood is meant to bring life and preservation. 
So there's death and there's life. We see in the coming of the kinds, there's to be male and female. This is God's natural order for the continuance of each kind of creature. There's no other way for this to happen. Each kind is to come into the ark, male and female, for its salvation and its continuance because God will make things new after judgment. He'll create things new. Another important observation for us to make here is to see Noah as the family head. Okay, Noah is a, the family head here. So as Noah goes, so goes his family. Right? There's a familial blessing that takes place here. Noah's faith saved his family. Right? His faith saved his family. As others were living sinful, ungodly lives, Noah was faithful, and it made a difference for his family. His faithfulness mattered. A little while ago, I mentioned that our faith must be personal, right? And it is. It's got to be our own. That's true. But here we also see the importance that our faith has on others or in the lives of others. So again, parents, grandparents, your kids and grandkids need God's grace in their lives for their salvation, for faithful living. There's no doubt about it. They need God's grace in their lives. But one of the main avenues of God's grace to kids is through parents and grandparents who are faithful to God and to his word. Your faithfulness matters greatly to the generations that will follow you. We don't really know here what Noah's sons were thinking here. But what we do see is that they followed their father's leadership. Right? What if they had resisted? Think about that. What if his sons had said, eh, sorry, Dad, I'm going to, don't care. We're not doing that. We're not going with you. I'm going to do my own thing. It would not have gone very well for them, would it? They followed their, faithful, their father's leadership. So men, you were to lead your family well. Wives, you were to follow the godly leadership of your husband. Children, you were to follow the godly leadership of your Father, it is good for you to do this. And so as God speaks to Noah, uh, we've seen much of God's character here, right? We've seen that God is sovereign over all things. God is just in his judgment of sin. God is wise in knowing how to save. God is merciful as he continues his covenant with man. And God does the saving work. And so next we'll see Noah's response here. We'll take a look at how Noah responds. We have one short verse that we see how Noah responded to all that God had said. Nine verses, God speaking to Noah. One verse, Noah's response. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Isn't that remarkable? They had never seen a flood before. Right? And God comes to Noah, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring something you have never seen before, and I want you to build this giant boat. And Noah simply responds in faith. He does it. He just does it. Noah carried out all that God instructed. He did it all the way. He finished the job. 
There's no questioning. There's no grumbling. There's no complaining. There's just faithful obedience. That's Noah's response. Let me ask you, how do you respond to God's word? How do you respond to God's word? Do you question it? Do you just ignore it? Do you grumble at it? Or do you simply believe what God said and live accordingly? Right? So this ark was a means of salvation, but Noah's faith in God is what saved him. Right? Ultimately, it wasn't the ark that saved Noah. His faith was the means of his salvation. Saving faith is believing what God has said and living accordingly. Faith in God is what saves Noah. It's not faith in Noah's skill. It's not faith in the construction of the ark and its ability to hold up. It's not faith that Noah worked hard enough or long enough to please God or that he worked enough to earn credit with God or to meet some standard that God has. But it's faith that God will do what he said he will do. And Noah's faith is demonstrated in action, right? Faith demonstrated in action. He actually built the ark. He actually built it as God said to build it. That's faith. It's a faith response to who God is and what he has said. So God chose to save Noah. Noah responded in faith. But this is just as he had done previously. This isn't something new for Noah, right? This is what he's always done. We saw that in verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of God because of his faithfulness. Verse 9, Noah's righteous, blameless, walked with God. Noah was faithful way before God even came and spoke to him about the flood. Noah's just continuing to live faithfully as he's always done before. And so this is nothing new for him. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Towards the end of your Bible, a few books back from the end. Hebrews chapter 11. This is known as the faith chapter. Talk about the faith of many people of old, of the Old Testament. So Hebrews chapter 11, look with me at verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Okay? So that's what faith is all about. Now, let's skip down to verse 7. Here's what we read about Noah and his faith. Verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So here is Noah's faith. Noah's faith is that he actually responded to God in what God had said. So did Noah see the floodwaters on their way and then decide, oh, the water's coming, I better build this ark? Is that how it happened? No. He was convicted of what God had said, right? Did Noah do all the mathematical calculations to know that the ark would hold up and be the right proportions? No, that's not what he did. He was assured of the promise of God. 
Simple. He responded in faith. This is faith. And his faith led to obedience. It was faithful obedience. Noah did all that God commanded. He didn't just pick and choose. I want to do this. I don't want... He, he did all that God commanded. Faith is simply a response to the greatness and the glory of God. It is a gift of God given to us. God chooses to save through faith. That's amazing grace to us. So how about you in faith? Question for you to consider. This is for you personally now. Are you in the line of Noah by faith? I'm not talking about the generations, the natural order. Are you in the line of faith? Do you know God's character, who he is? Do you know what God has said in his word? Do you know what God has done in creation and in salvation? Do you respond to God by living a life of faith in every way, as Noah did? See, sometimes we can be tempted to isolate faith to certain times or moments, can't we? Right? Faith as well, I'll, I'll, I'll exercise faith at church, or I'll, I'll have faith in a Bible study, or in my morning devotions. Right? We isolate faith. Other times we look for big moments of faith, right? What's my next big step of faith? What's the next giant spiritual leap I need to make? Right? Our lives should be characterized by simple, ordinary everyday faithfulness. That's what we see here with Noah. That's what our lives should be like. So the proper response to God is faith. Any encounter with God's word should come with a faith response. So how can we be sure of God's word? Come and take it in in the preaching every week. Read your Bible regularly, regularly. Read it, study it. That's where God speaks to us, in his word right here. This is God's word. And so our response is faithful obedience to this, knowing God and what he has said. And again, in the midst of a wicked and sinful generation, your faithfulness matters. And so Noah responds to God in faith. We must do the same. Lastly, we're going to take a look at a judgment to come. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, a few uh, books over to the right towards the end of your Bible from Hebrews. 2 Peter chapter 3. Because here's the other thing that we need to know this morning. We need to know that there is a coming, there's coming a time when sin will be judged once again. But this time, it will be a final Judgment. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the flood judgment, right? Verse 7, but... By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment 
and destruction of the ungodly. So although the world was destroyed once in judgment, there is another judgment to come. After the flood, God brought restoration. However, that new creation after the flood still had the effects of sin. And as man increased on the earth, sinfulness and ungodliness increased as well. So there's a judgment to come. But we've noted already that all of God's judgment comes with an element of salvation, right? A continuing covenant relationship between God and man. And that will hold true in this final judgment as well. Jump down in 2 Peter 3 to verse 13. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So out of this final judgment will also come a new creation. But this new creation will have no more sin. Righteousness will dwell. The effects of sin will be gone. And so this new creation to come after the final judgment will be completely different. You can read more about the final judgment in Revelation chapter 20. We won't go there this morning. Quick comparison, though, between the flood judgment and the final judgment. Let's make a few observations. First, both judgments carry the wrath of God. Both judgments are judgments for sin. Both judgments bring death. Both judgments allow one way of salvation through faith. The flood judgment by the door into the ark. The final judgment by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Both judgments A lack of faith, unfaithfulness, ends in death. Faithfulness ends in life. Both judgments bring about a new creation. But there are also some differences in these judgments. The flood judgment was carried out with water, right? The final judgment will be with fire, as we read. Or in Revelation 20, the lake of fire, right? After the flood, the new creation was there, but it still had sin. Man still had a sin nature. Sin continued. After the final judgment, the new creation will have no more sin. Sin will be done away with. It will be done and gone. After the flood, there was a restoration. That restoration was temporary because sin continued. In the final judgment, when there is restoration, that restoration will be eternal because sin will be no more. So just in summary here this morning, a few things for you. First, know that man is sinful and God will judge sin. Second, know that God's judgment comes with an element of salvation. Third, know that salvation comes by grace through faith. That was true for Noah and it's true for us. Four, live a life of faithful obedience to God and to his word. Let's pray, and then we'll transition to communion. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. God, help us to be people who respond in faith and in faithful obedience to all that you have commanded. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The charge is this. We sang about it during the offering. Walk by faith and not by sight. Believe what God has said and live accordingly. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We care about you. We love you. Have a great week in the Lord. God bless.